Amen. Well, it's so good to see you all this morning in church. It is it's a good day to worship the Lord, and I'm praying that this word that we're about to uh, jump into would just speak to your heart. I pray every week that that when people come here, that each of you would feel warmly welcomed here, and also that you would meet with God. We pray that every single week, that in the worship, in the preaching, that each time you come into this house, you would meet with the Lord. So if you're new today, that's my prayer for you. I just pray that, that both of those things would happen. You feel welcomed, and you get to meet with God. And if you are new, I just want to say that I'd love to meet you after service if we haven't met already, and I'd love to become your best friend if you'll have me. I'm kidding. We don't have to have that high of commitment yet, but hey, maybe someday. But uh, yeah, so... I just want to say welcome to you, and we're glad you're here. It's such an exciting time in the air right now with graduation season. I know Solon's got his graduation coming up this afternoon. you got graduation parties, which means lots of cake and lots of food. you got weddings going on, which means, hey, hopefully a really nice meal for free, right? It's a good season. Plus, the COVID stuff starting, they're starting to roll back, the restrictions, and it's getting warmer outside. So it's been a really fun season. And I'm excited to see how the summer goes. And, and, uh, and this week I was reflecting on the season we're in, and it made me think back to my graduation party when I was a senior in high school and I graduated. And my mom, she was like the best graduation party planner in the entire world. She did it five times, and each time the parties were just amazing. I think each party got better than the last, and I'm the second youngest, so I think my party was pretty awesome. But the thing is, like, despite the joy of seeing family and friends, despite the great food as my mom got Arby's roast beef sandwiches and, and Subway cookies, despite how good the food was, despite how, how much fun it was. My favorite part was afterwards when I got to look in the cards because there was cash. And I had not seen a lot of cash at that point in my life. I remember opening those cards. I'm like, wow, there's another 20. There's a 50. Come on, somebody. I was getting excited. And I think that was the first time I ever saw $1,000 with my own two eyes. And I was just so excited that the money was overflowing. And I put that money in my bank account, and I thought, it will never run out. I've never been this rich, and I'm always going to be rich now. And I continued working my part-time job at Casey's throughout that summer, you know, working hard in the kitchen and on the cash register, making friends, doing all that. But then when I got to you and I that fall, I said, okay, I'm going to take a step back from working. I'm a pretty rich man at this point. I got plenty of money in the savings account. I don't need to work. So for the whole semester, I would just I'd go out to eat with my friends. I would have uh, lots of um, travel times where we would go to other cities and, and do fun stuff. I bought a new guitar. I didn't know how to play it, but I bought it. I'm like, yeah, I just was having a good time. But by the end of the semester, and, and by the time we got to Christmas break, my checking account said zero point zero zero dollars. My savings account said five dollars because you have to have five dollars to be able to keep your savings account open. And I was panicking. I'm like, I am now broke. I'm no longer a big dog and I need to get a job. So I got a job again at Casey's that over that winter break. And then when I got back to you and I, I got a job at a convenience store called Biscotti's and I started making that dough. I think it was like seven twenty-five an hour, which that doesn't happen very fast. It's like, come on, can you build up quicker? But I I started working there, and I remember my, and this is a complete side note, has nothing to do with the illustration, but I remember my first day on the job at Biscotti's, I woke up two hours late, and I showed up at nine o'clock when my shift started at seven, and I think my first, or first word of the semester was uh, something I shouldn't have said as I woke up and realized the clock, I'm like, crap, but I said something else. So point is, it wasn't a great way to start the year, but I did start making that money. And just bear with me, I was just being sanctified, okay? So I'm sorry that I cussed when I was a freshman in college, but I'm growing and I'm working on it. So anyways, that's just a joke. But all right, so, so many of us are like I was, but in a spiritual sense, 
while, while life with Jesus is supposed to be a life of overflow, we often feel spiritually bankrupt, like I did over that Christmas break. That Christmas break, we feel spiritually bankrupt because we reduce the Christian life from a life of spiritual vitality and relationship with God and vibrance in our, our relationship with God to a life of just trying to do enough good things to get by spiritually. Like, I got to go to church at least once a month because that makes me better than a lot of Christians. I got to be nice to people. I, I shouldn't curse. I got to do these things. I got to do enough good things to get by. We operate as if the Christian life is something we can do on our own natural strength. And because of this, we don't live a life of freedom from sin and a life of bringing our friends to Jesus. We don't live a life of seeing heaven take up residence in our hearts and around us as we lead our friends to Jesus and bring the kingdom of God to earth. Why do why do so many of us struggle to live a life of overflow? Why do we struggle to, or to be like I was at graduation where the money's flowing in, but in a spiritual sense where we're just flowing in the spiritual life? Why do we struggle? Well, I think we struggle. When I read the New Testament, I'm convinced that the main reason why we struggle and why we lack this power is we're not accessing the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as I overflowed with money on my graduation day, we're supposed to overflow with the Holy Spirit. And what does that even mean? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, with that said, we're going to continue our sermon series on the Holy Spirit called Wind of God. Wind of God is a sermon series, and, and we call it Wind of God to capture the word for spirit. So Holy Spirit, the word for spirit in both the Hebrew and the Greek can also be translated as wind. So we could also call him the Wind of God or the Holy Wind. And this idea of wind kind of captures the idea that the Holy Spirit, the wind of God, can blow through our lives, our hearts, and our situations, and he can change them. The wind of God, the Holy Spirit, can be wind to our sails and blow us forward, spiritually speaking. And this week, the sermon title is The Wind is Overflowing. Okay, the Holy Spirit doesn't just want to live in our hearts. He wants to overflow in our lives. He doesn't just want to get heaven into us, or, or get us into heaven, but he wants to get heaven into us. He wants to have full leadership of our lives. He doesn't want just a little bit. He wants our whole hearts. And we kicked off this series four weeks ago, and I'm briefly going to summarize because every sermon builds on the last. In week one, we looked at Genesis 1, where the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters, and he's waiting to spring into action and bring this beautiful world into existence. And we talked about just as the Holy Spirit hovered over creation before it was birthed into existence, he hovers over our lives, and he's waiting to bring beauty out of the chaos of our lives. He, he's waiting to have his way in our lives. And then in the second week, we looked at a story with Moses, where he's leading the people of Israel through the desert and to Mount Sinai, and he is frustrated. He's like, God, why did you ask me to lead these terrible human beings? I'm not enjoying this. These guys complain all the time. God, why did you ask, ask me to lead these people? And God says, hey, get 70 elders, get 70 leaders, set them aside. And he pours his Holy Spirit out on the 70 elders, and they prophesy. And then Joshua, Moses's you know, teacher's pet type dude who's trying to be his right-hand man, he tells Moses, he's like, hey, they're not supposed to be prophesying. That's just supposed to be your thing. And it says this in Numbers 11, verse 29. It says, but, but Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them? Okay, so Moses, he's saying, 
The Holy Spirit is not meant to just be for leaders or for special people at the top, but God's heart is that the Holy Spirit would be on all people. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was only given to prophets, priests, and kings, and Moses is looking forward to a day when all God's people can be empowered with the Holy Spirit. And this is where the book of Joel comes in, which we looked at a couple weeks ago. In Joel 2, Joel prophesies of the day when the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, and that's the day we're currently, currently living in. It says this in verse 28. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants in those days. I will pour out my spirit. Okay, so Joel, he prophesied that it would be possible for every believer, every person of God to, or to have the spirit and operate in profound spiritual power. And then last week, we finally got to the New Testament. And, and Jesus, he's having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus in the middle of the night. And Nicodemus says, hey, how do I be a part of this kingdom of God? How can I be a part of the kingdom that you're bringing in? And Jesus says, you have to be born again. And then Nicodemus says, well, how are you born again? And Jesus says, you're born again by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit causes you to be born again. And we talked about that just as the Holy Spirit causes us to be, or to be born again, just as the Holy Spirit brings our hearts to life at salvation, he is the way that each of us can experience spiritual growth and transformation. If we want to grow, spiritually speaking, if we want to transform into the likeness of Jesus, we need the Holy Spirit. Now here we are, finally getting to the point that I've been wanting to get to throughout this entire series. We're going to explore how Jesus makes more of the Spirit possible. We've repeatedly said that the primary application point of this series is very simple. It's ask God for more of His Spirit. Every week we end the sermon that way. Ask God for, for more of His Spirit. If we want the Spirit to spring into action in our lives and bring beauty out of the chaos, we need to ask for more of him. If we want to, or if we want the spirit to empower us like he empowered Moses, then we need to ask for more of the spirit, just as Moses did. If we want the Holy Spirit to be poured out on all flesh, then again, we need to ask him. And finally, if we want the spirit to blow on our lives and, and help us transform, we need to ask for more of him. But, but today we're going to look at specifically what we're supposed to ask for. John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 3, he prophesied this about Jesus. He said, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is, is mightier than I is coming. And the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire? That sounds painful. Baptized in fire? It's an interesting thing. We know a lot about water baptism. What in the world is fire baptism? John the Baptist, he, he prophesies that, that Jesus will baptize us with the Spirit in fire. So the Greek word for baptize is baptizo. Baptizo. It's fun to say that. You should say it at home. It's, it's a good time. But point is, when you get baptizo, which if you haven't been baptized yet in water, let's do it. We'll fill it up after service. But baptizo, it means to be immersed or dunked. Okay, so what is John the Baptist saying? He's saying that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is going to dunk you in the Holy Spirit. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we go from just having the Holy Spirit live in our hearts like he does at salvation to the Holy Spirit immersing every area of our lives. When you're immersed in something, 
It means that, that you're touched everywhere by it. You're like drenched. I, I picture when people come up from the water and they're like, whoa, and they got water dripping and they give a hug and the water's splashing and it's a good time. I think of that like the Holy Spirit, like you're, you're drenched in the Holy Spirit. John says that the day is coming where Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and you will be plunged into the life of the Spirit with profound effects. At the end of Luke, Jesus hearkens back to this prophecy. He doesn't say much about it throughout his ministry, but he had, he had died and rose again. In chapter 24 of Luke, he's about to take off into heaven, and this is what he tells his disciples just before he leaves. He says, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He says, stay, don't go anywhere, don't go make disciples of all nations until you get power. In the book of Acts, which if you don't know this, the book of Luke and the book of Acts are two parts of the same book. The book of Luke is about Jesus' life and ministry, and the book of Acts is about the early church and how they first got the church off the ground. And there are two parts of one story. So in Acts, Jesus elaborates on what he means by this. It says this in Acts 1, verse 4 and 5, and then verse 8. It says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from, from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and what will happen? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem or in Cedar Falls in Samaria, or dyke, to the ends of the earth. That's all I got, to the ends of the earth. Point is, you're going to receive this fire dunking baptism thingamajig, and you'll get power. That's what happens. You'll get some power. We need some power in this place. If we're going to make disciples of all nations, we need what the disciples needed. We are not more special or better than the disciples were. If they needed power, I need power. The overflowing power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and this harkens back to the Old Testament where we look, or the stories we looked at in the first part of our series. For Moses to be the leader that God had called him to be, for him to lead that difficult people of Israel, he needed the power of the Holy Spirit. For Bezalel to craft the tabernacle and use his artisan skills to build it, it says he needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And for Samson to kill a lion with his bare hands, which I'm still praying for. I haven't tried it yet, but I'm praying for it. For him to do that, it says he needed the Spirit of God to rush upon him. The disciples, they finally received that power. They needed that power to do what God had called them to do. They, they needed that, that fire baptism. So the disciples, they go and they pray. They do what Jesus told them to do. They pray for days. They say, we need this power. Acts 2, 1 through 4 it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. I just keep picturing like a wind would start coming in. It'd be kind of cool. Well, I don't know. It's like, we might need to rebuild the wall. But point is, that was stupid. All right, mighty rushing wind comes in. I try sometimes. It doesn't always work. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Think about like little flames of fire on each of our heads. That would be a... Pretty weird day in church. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What in the world? The disciples, they, they finally received what, 
what Moses and Joel promised. After receiving the baptism, the apostle Peter gets up and he explains to the crowd what's going on. He says, this is a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. Your sons and daughters prophesying, your old men dreaming dreams, the spirit being poured out on all flesh. This is a fulfillment of that. The same Peter who denied Jesus three times gets up. He preaches the gospel boldly and 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus. And this isn't like in a culture where the church is all over the place and it's a pretty normal thing to be a Christian. Like this is a brand new thing. It seems like a really weird cult type thing. And they put their faith in Jesus. 3,000 people. And for that to happen, Peter needed some power. And this is the same Peter who had denied Jesus. Like I said, he had just denied Jesus, and now he's preaching the gospel, and people are getting saved. And Peter says, he says, this power is not just available for me. It's available to everyone. He says this in verse 39. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are, are far off, even for those of us at St. Church, Cedar Falls, Iowa, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The power that Jesus promised in the baptism of the Holy Spirit had a profound impact on the early church as the church ended up spreading like wildfire throughout the Middle East and into Europe and eventually to the entire, the entire globe. And today the church exists on every continent. I'm not sure about Antarctica, but we're going to plant a church there someday. I don't even know if there's people there. Maybe there's like one dude hanging out studying the ice caps. I'm not sure what's going on down there. But the point is the Holy Spirit is on every continent where there's humans not the Holy Spirit. The church is on every continent, and the Holy Spirit would be there too if the church is there. But the point is, uh, throughout Acts, receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit was expected, and it was necessary to push the church forward. It wasn't just for some people, but it was for all people, and it happens over and over again. And throughout Acts, Luke, he uses several synonyms for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and this is important so, so we don't get confused when we're reading through these stories. He, he refers to it as being filled with the Spirit, he refers to it as receiving the Holy Spirit, and he refers to it as the Holy Spirit coming or falling on. Okay, so when he uses these phrases, he's not referring to the Holy Spirit coming into your heart at salvation, as in all these stories, these people were already saved, but a conscious experience with the Spirit after you've already put your faith in Jesus. It's this other experience. And I'm just going to put all five instances of the initial baptism in the Holy Spirit up on the screen. And, and these are the different ones. So if you want to dive into this, maybe you came in today, you're like, what is this guy talking about? I've never read the, never heard a sermon on this. I've seen it in Acts, but I skip over it or it confuses me. Or this is like the first time you've really heard it. I want to encourage you, go to the scriptures. Because everything we preach here at Scent Church, we want to get it from the scriptures. And if, if you get a different interpretation, then that's fine. I'm just showing you what I really believe that God has spoken through the book of Acts. So you see this in Acts 2, 1 through 4, the Jewish Christians get baptized. Acts 8, the Samaritan Christians Acts 9, the Apostle Paul. Acts 10, the Gentile or the non-Jew Jewish Christians. And then Acts 19, another Gentile church gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we're actually going to look at Acts 19. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. This is where we're going to kind of hang out today. I would love to go through all the stories, but we don't have time. I love this story of the baptism in the Spirit. The church in, the church in Ephesus was an ordinary church that was over 20 years removed from the day of Pentecost. And they received the baptism just like the Jews and the Samaritans and the Gentiles did. I believe that, that the author Luke includes this story in Acts to show us that the baptism of the Spirit is something that should be expected in every generation of the church. We see a pattern throughout Acts of believers receiving this baptism sometime after salvation. 
because of this, because of the fact that the Ephesians were receiving it 20 years later, and they're just a normal church, because of this, we can expect that this should still be happening today. There is no scripture in the New Testament that tells us that this should not be our experience. I want to focus on their experience with the baptism to kind of, to kind of give us a blueprint of what we can expect when we seek the baptism, as they were just an ordinary group of Gentiles, just like we are in an ordinary church in an ordinary city. And they were receiving it just like we should. So I want to read this, and then we'll get a blueprint uh, for what we can expect. It says this, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country, and he came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism, a water baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in water again, but this time in the name of Jesus. And then when they got done being baptized, Paul laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So again, this is 20 years after Acts 2, the same thing's happening. People get saved, baptized in water, and they start... And they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they start speaking in tongues. So let's pray over that, and then we're going to have a couple different points to kind of give us a way to think about this properly. So Jesus, we uh, thank you for this morning. We thank you for every person who's here today. God, I pray that each person in this house would feel warmly welcome today, and that each of us would hear from your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we ask you directly, we ask you to speak to us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill this place, just like you did so many times in Acts. We pray that you would fill this house, and God, that you would speak to every heart in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the first point this morning, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, you don't have to, but I hope you are, is, is we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've already been making this point, but I want to elaborate on this. The first thing that our text shows us is although all Christians have the Holy Spirit at salvation, hear me again, all Christians, if you believe in Jesus, if you've accepted his sacrifice on your behalf, the Holy Spirit has come into your heart. The New Testament makes that clear. Although all Christians have the Holy Spirit at salvation, we still need to be dunked in the Spirit. We need to be baptized. We need to be immersed or filled in the Holy Spirit. We see this in Acts 19 too, where Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Key word, they had already believed when you believed. So Paul is saying, that it's not guaranteed that you would get a spirit baptism at salvation. And we know, like I said, Paul says himself in other texts, we know that every Christian has the Holy Spirit. So he has to be, or he has to be referring to something else. And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And if we're honest, for many of us, that's our experience. We talk a lot about God the Father. We talk a lot about God the Son. But the Holy Spirit, we're like, he's the weird guy that people say he's causing them to do weird things. And I don't really want to be a part of that, right? We, we don't really know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit other than he changes our hearts. But, but Luke is showing us, the author, he's showing us that there's more to the Holy Spirit than just him being the person who helps us get saved. The Ephesians, again, 20 years after Acts 2, they had to do, this, or they had to do the same thing that those first disciples had to do. They had to wait for power from the Spirit. They had to not only believe in Jesus and be baptized in water, but they needed to receive the baptism in the Spirit so that they could receive power. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not an automatic, subconscious event at salvation. Instead, it's a conscious experience that each of us should seek out 
sometime after salvation. We see this repeatedly throughout the baptism accounts in Acts. In Acts 2, we talked about this already, but uh, just for a review of the disciples, they had already believed in Jesus. They had seen his resurrected body. In John 20, verse 22, Jesus says, Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So they get the Holy Spirit at salvation. But Jesus tells them they still need to go and wait for power. They need to wait for this other experience with the Spirit. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues. In Acts 8, the same thing happens. The Samaritans were saved, water baptized believers in Jesus. There's actually a great revival breaking out in Samaria. People are putting their faith in Jesus. But then the Jewish church, or not the Jewish, uh, the church in Jerusalem sends Peter and John to them so that they can receive the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit as well. They needed this immersion in the Spirit. It says this in, in verse 14 of Acts 8. It says, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. These were Christians. And he's saying the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen. The Holy Spirit had not yet dunked any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They had only been water baptized. Then they laid their hands on them and prayed for them, and they received the Holy Spirit. In Acts 9, we see a a similar thing where Paul has a conversion experience on the road to Damascus, and then he has to be prayed for afterwards that he might receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10, Peter is preaching the gospel, and at some point, he's just preaching. He's, he's bringing the heat. All of a sudden, the people get saved. They start to put their faith in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit falls on the room around the same time, and they start speaking in tongues and praising God. And it actually says in Acts 10, it says, we know that they received the baptism for they were speaking in tongues. That's the way they knew that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But in Acts 19, our passage, Paul asked them if they had received the Holy Spirit when they believed, showing that it's not something that's just automatic at salvation, but should be prayed for separate from that. So the point is, I say all this to say, there's, there's salvation, right? You put your faith in Jesus. All you got to do is call upon the name of the Lord and you're saved. There's water baptism, which is an act of obedience that, that symbolizes what God has done in your heart. If you're a saved Christian and you haven't been baptized, come on, somebody, let's do it. That'd be great. And then finally, there's a spirit baptism, Okay, so this, this baptism for power. A good way to think about this is to, or to visualize a bottle of Coke. Okay, so you're going to the gas station. You're like, I need something tasty, something that's going to give me a little bit of a jolt. I want a bottle of Coca-Cola Classic. You grab that Coca-Cola out. You look at it. Okay, so last night I had an eight-ounce bottle, glass bottle of Coke, and I felt so fancy. I was like, what's up, somebody? Bottle of Coke, glass bottle. So the point is, you, you grab that bottle out. And the Coke's in there, right? If it was half drinking, you'd put it back in. You'd be like, uh-uh, not taking that. It's full of Coke. But if you shake that Coke up and you open up the lid, it's going to start overflowing, right? It's going to be like, it's going to be crazy in that gas station. The point is, that's what it's like. For us, if you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is living in you. Okay? The Coke is in the bottle. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit causes you to overflow with power and life and vitality. We see this in, in John 7. Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And now this he said about who? He said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, Jesus wants all of us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He wants the Spirit of God to overflow from our hearts. And for those who have already been, or been baptized in the Spirit, but haven't continued to walk in his fullness, he wants to fill you anew today. He doesn't just want you to be baptized once. He wants you to continually be filled 
Okay, so we've established we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We need to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. And this is a conscious experience after salvation. But why do we need the experience? And, and I think a lot of us are asking that question because we are mid, I think most of us are, are from the Midwest here, right? And we don't like weird stuff, okay? We're like, in worship, we're like, I'll put my hand right here. But that's it. It's not going up here. Okay, that's weird. Right? We are a very reserved people. And, I, and that's how I am too. I'm a reserved person at heart. And we're wondering, why do we need this experience? Why do we need to speak in tongues? Why do we need to prophesy? Why do we need this stuff? Can't we just believe in Jesus, go to church, and be a nice person? Well, it's a good question. I'm glad you're wondering why we need this. And that's what the second point is. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and continual filling of the Spirit gives us supernatural power. We need the baptism of the Spirit because we need power. Again, Jesus said, wait for power from on high so you can be my witnesses. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the primary reason for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So we can be better witnesses for Jesus. So we can proclaim the gospel with power to our friends. The baptism in the Spirit unleashes this power inside of us. And might I add that part of being a good witness is, is, is living a holy life. Okay, so the baptism in the Holy Spirit can help you to live in holiness as well. In Acts 2, after Peter's baptized, again, he gets up, he preaches, and 3,000 people get saved. The Spirit empowered Peter to be a bold witness for Jesus when on his natural self he would be a more timid person, but, but he empowered him. And, and later on in Acts 4, it's really interesting. So they get baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. In Acts 4, these disciples who had already been baptized in the Spirit were discouraged as they were facing opposition to the mission, the Authorities were opposing their work of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And they prayed. They said, Lord, we need a fresh filling of the Spirit. And this is two chapters later. They're already praying for a fresh filling of the Spirit. It says this in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, same people who were baptized in Acts 2, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Again, the baptism of the Spirit is connected to boldness, to power. In Acts 19, Paul, or Paul simply wanted the Ephesians to have that same power. And this is why right away, like, I don't think they had small talk. Right away, it's like, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? It's like, dude, I don't even know you. Can we have a conversation first? He was concerned about that. Just imagine if we did that to you. That would be weird. What if I came up like, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? I'm just, we're not going to start doing that. But all right, point is, one of the ministries that has profoundly impacted our church and our Chi Alpha group on the campus of UNI, it's our campus ministry, is the Chi Alpha at NDSU, so, so uh, North Dakota State University where Carson Wentz came out of. And actually, he was a part of Chi Alpha, that's a side note. But, but that Chi Alpha raised up a ton of ministers who have personally impacted me, and they were on the front lines of planting Chi Alphas across our state in Iowa. And this all happened after a powerful revival took place there about 15 years ago. In a short amount of time, that Chi Alpha grew from uh, just 60 students, and their campus pastor had been there for 20 years already, so they still only had 60 students, and they grew to over 500, or 500 students. In one semester alone, they went from 100 to 300 students. Chi Alpha students, come on. This fall, baby, come on. Let's go. But, but the question is, what did they do? How did they position themselves in a way where they could experience that kind of revival? Where, well, a few things happened. So one, if you ask their campus pastor, 
If you ask him, why did you guys grow like you did? He'll say every time. And this guy is the most simple guy ever. He's a, and I'm not saying you're simple if you're a farmer, but he's a farmer. He's not a trained pastor. He's just a very simple guy. And he preaches like eight minute sermons, which makes me feel bad because my sermons are like, sometimes they can get kind of long. I'm not going to lie to you. So we won't talk about that. But point is, he preaches like eight minute sermons and he's like, all right, Holy Spirit, go. And they're just like, boom, they're all getting like wrecked by Jesus. I'm like, I talk for 45 and people are like, like maybe it's because I'm talking too long. But the point is, He's a very simple guy, and if you ask him how they grew, what he'll say is he says, we always place a priority on the baptism of the Spirit. If someone gets saved in their ministry, they're going to make sure they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they also place a priority on speaking in tongues. And something their group would do is they would actually uh, pull out these all-night prayer nights, and they would be completely student-led, where students would come to the church, and they would brew coffee, and they would stay up all night seeking God and praying and and asking God to move. So again, Chi Alpha students, if you want that kind of revival, you got to do what they did. Come on, somebody. You want the keys to the church? Boom, let's go. This fall, start praying for God to move on the campus like he did at NDSU. But the point I'm, I'm making is, is if we want to see that happen in our church, we need to be committed to the baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit leads to power. It could truly unleash a supernatural power in our church and we could be like the disciples who saw the church go from just a ragtag group of people in Jerusalem to now a global church. We could not only reach Cedar Falls and Waterloo, but communities all around Iowa and all around the world. And I already got some target communities. Like, I don't even think we're fully planted yet. We're still in the planting process. And I'm thinking about the next one because I want to reach the world. But it's only going to happen if we wait for power from on high. And not just that, not just for our church, not just for taking the kingdom forward. If you receive this power from the Holy Spirit, it could transform your personal life. You could get freedom from sin. You could walk in greater joy. You could experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in a more tangible way. You could have more power when you share your faith. God wants to help each of us to step into the fullness of what he has for us by giving us this overflow of the Spirit. He doesn't just want the Spirit to live on the inside and for us to be saved. He wants living water to flow out of our hearts. If you trace the, the five instances of the baptism of the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts, you will see that the baptism is not just linked with people receiving more power, but it's also linked with people being able to speak in tongues. Fun stuff. You're like, we're talking about tongues today. Okay, weird church. I want to take the, it's one of those churches. <laughs> I want to take the rest of our time explaining that relationship. Okay, so the third point this morning is this. Or when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we get the opportunity, keyword, opportunity, right? It's a blessing to pray in tongues. It is a great blessing from God. It's not some obligation or some burden thrown on you. It's a great opportunity to pray in tongues. I know this can sound crazy. Like, what is speaking in tongues? I know that's part of the challenge. Like, like what does that look like? Is it gibberish? Well, let's look at Acts 19.6. It says, when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues, and prophesy. Okay, so when people are baptized in the Holy Spirit, physical signs follow. In this case, tongues and prophesy. Okay, so when we receive the baptism, we should expect signs to follow, just as it did for the church in the book of Acts. But this is how God confirms to you that you've been baptized. And the common sign we see throughout the five instances is tongue. So let's look again. We're going to put up a slide here. It has all five instances. I'm just going to briefly unpack these. So Acts 2, what happens? There's, there's three signs. One, there's a, a mighty rushing wind, and there's fire, and then there's speaking in tongues. And I won't do that for us because that'd be weird. But the point is, they, 
of all three of those things happen. And specifically in Acts 2, they're speaking human languages that they don't know. So imagine if we get baptized in the Holy Spirit in this place and we start speaking Spanish and French and all these different languages. That's what happened in Acts 2. And it's for a very specific purpose. As it was the day of Pentecost, there were people from all over the world there and they were preaching the gospel or praising God in their languages. And people were like, what in the world is going on? This guy can speak my language and he's just an uneducated fisherman. But this is insane. Okay, so that was a very practical thing. But then in Acts 8, we see... That Simon, okay, so let's back up. There's that revival taking place in Samaria. And they need the Holy Spirit. They pray for them. They receive the Holy Spirit. And then a guy named Simon, who was a magician in, in Samaria, so he did magic tricks, and people liked watching his magic tricks. He sees that they received the Holy Spirit, and he comes up to them and says, all right, I only got 20 bucks, but can I buy the Holy Spirit from you? That's a bad move. Don't try to buy the Holy Spirit. But actually, Simon was saved too, so he was being sanctified, like I said earlier about myself, or my freshman year in college. But the point is, He's trying to buy the Holy Spirit. But the question is, how did he know that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit? It doesn't actually tell us an Acts 8. It doesn't tell us a physical sign. But because of the other instances, it's safe to assume that it might have been tongues. In Acts 10, when they're baptized in the, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, it says they received the gift of the Holy Spirit for or because they were speaking in tongues. That's how they knew that they had received uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so in Acts 8, we can assume that. If you want to prove me wrong, you can do research and try to figure out what the sign was. But there was something that caused Simon to, to know that they had the Holy Spirit. Okay, in Acts 9, the apostle Paul filled with the Holy Spirit. He was blind before because the Lord had blinded him. And the scales fall off his eyes. It doesn't tell us what else happens. But we know that Paul spoke in tongues a lot. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Okay, if Paul's saying that he speaks in tongues more than me, I'm going to pray in tongues a lot. So I want to beat Paul. It's not going to work, but I'm going to try. And Paul says, I want you all to speak with tongues. He says that in 1 Corinthians 14. So, so we know that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit and he spoke in tongues. We don't know how close together those two things happened because the text doesn't tell us. But Acts 10 and 19 are the linchpin passages that just really confirm tongues. Because if we ended at Acts 9, we'd say, well, it happened in Acts 2. We don't know what happened in Acts 8 and 9. But in Acts 10, when they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, again, it says, for they were speaking in tongues and extolling God. That's how they knew that they had the Holy Spirit in the baptism. And then Acts 19, we just read it. It says they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Okay, we see throughout these, throughout these narratives that tongues, it seems to be the common thread. It's explicit in Acts 2, Acts 10, and Acts 19. And we know that Paul speaks in tongues after Acts 9. And Simon saw some sign in Acts 8. Again, we don't know for sure what it was. When we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we can expect to be able to speak in languages that we don't know. That could be a human language, uh, just like what happened in Acts 2. It could also be an angelic or, or heavenly language, like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when he says, I speak in the tongues of angels. Okay, so what's the point of, of, of speaking in tongues? Like, why do we want to do it? This sounds really kooky. Well, the first reason why, and we see this in Romans 8, is it helps us to pray when we don't know what to pray for. I don't know about you. But sometimes I go into prayer and I'm like, dear Lord Jesus, uh, bless these, these chicken nuggets. And uh, yeah, I pray for grandma and I don't know what else to pray for. And then I start thinking about other stuff like, hey, what's the score of the Cardinals game? Or, hey, I got to go do that. And I start thinking about all these different things. But praying in tongues helps us to pray when we don't know what to pray for. We just start praying and the Spirit prays through us. Paul talks about this in Romans 8. He says, he says likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself 
intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. Now the question here is what does he mean by groanings? Theologians and, and Bible scholars disagree about that, but based upon what we see with the, with the predominance of tongues throughout Corinthians and throughout Acts, it's safe to assume that groanings could be tongues. I don't know if Paul's just like, or what's going on in that situation, but I'm thinking it's probably tongues, and a lot of scholars agree with that. So the second reason why we want to speak in tongues is it builds us up in our faith. Okay, First Corinthians 14, I love this. In verse 2, it says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their building and encouragement and consolation. But the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Tongues builds up our spirits. It makes us stronger spiritually. While prophecy builds up others, tongues builds up self. And actually, something else I should share about that revival at NDSU is right before the revival, the student leaders committed to praying in tongues for 30 minutes a day. They did that every day for, I think it was a month they did that. And then, boom, revival started taking off. There's something about praying in tongues. Paul explains, or explains later in 1 Corinthians, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, but he explains how we shouldn't speak in tongues in public unless we have someone to interpret it. Because again, no one understands what he's saying. If there's not someone to interpret it, then it's not going to build the body up. That's why we want to place an emphasis on prophecy when we're gathered together. Tongues is not our emphasis in our public gatherings. It's our emphasis in our private prayer lives. But there are times where uh, someone could get up and, and speak in tongues right now, and then someone else gets up and interprets it. I've had that happen where I've needed to hear from God. Like I've been like praying about something very specific. Like, God, I need you to speak about this. I remember I was, I was making a decision about college. and I, I was praying and asking God to speak. I go to uh, some small town Pentecostal church. And sure enough, about two minutes into service, some ladies up uh, praying in tongues. I'm like, whoa, what is going on here? And then someone else interprets it. And it's God speaking directly to me saying, you need to do this. I'm like, okay, I see how it is. God's real. This isn't just like stuff we're talking about. He, he really speaks today. But the tongues we get in baptism are the private tongues that, that build us up. And I've personally experienced the power of this in my own life, as I kind of alluded to. And the band could come up. We're going to close. I just want to share my story as we close out, because I don't want to just give you all the theology, but not show you the practical effects that it has in our lives. When I was in high school, I was a lukewarm Christian at best, and that's like being kind. I was probably more of a cold Christian. I drank and I partied a lot. I did things with girls that I should not have done. I was addicted to pornography. You're like, he's talking about pornography? Yep, I just brought it up. And however, at the same time, I would go to church. I would pray almost daily. I would invite my friends to youth group. I would even like debate my friends about the existence of God. Like I believed in Jesus. I just didn't live a powerful life at all. And, and just before coming to you and I, I had a, or just a radical encounter with the love of Jesus where he really showed me his love. And, and I kind of recommitted myself to Jesus in that moment. He, he forgave me of all the ways I was, I was blowing it, and, and his love changed me. I finally had a genuine desire to, or to really pursue God with my whole heart, and I began doing that. But, but despite my new desire to pursue God, despite my new commitment to him, I still struggled deeply to honor him with my life. I was still addicted to pornography. I, I was still dealing with things with girls or doing things with girls that I shouldn't have. I was timid in my faith. I compromised on, on a number of levels. It felt like I would take two steps forward in my faith and then three steps backwards. It was like exhausting. I would go to worship services. I'd be like, yes, I'm going to change. And then I would go right back to the way I was before. 
when I came into Chi Alpha that fall, that the campus ministry at UNI, our pastor drugged me to fall retreat. And it just so happened that the preacher at the fall retreat came from NDSU. And he was living this out. He, he was living out this, this praying in tongues. He, he was living out this baptism in the Spirit in his own life. And he started talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit a little bit. And on Friday night, like the first night of the retreat, I remember sitting around the bonfire with some other people. And I started like kind of debating a pastor about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which, wow, I was a jerk. I was a freshman trying to debate pastors. Wow, <laughs> I needed the baptism bad. But the point is, I tell them, you know, this isn't for today. Because I had been in a church growing up in high school that just really abused it. You know, people would, would speak in tongues into the microphone. There'd be no interpreter. And I saw passages in Corinthians where it says, don't speak in tongues in public unless there's an interpreter. I'm like, this must not be for today because you know, churches aren't doing it right. And I kind of had that debate. But then the next day on Saturday, uh, the pastor took us through all these passages in Acts and he unpacked them for us. And I knew what I was going through. I knew my struggles, my addictions, my t- or timidity and my faith. And I just knew that I needed it. Hunger began to rise up in me. I felt like Peter. I felt, you know, like I denied Jesus uh, or so much with my life, and I and I needed the same thing that Peter had. So I went up to the altar at the end of service. I just began to pray for it. You know, nothing crazy. Nobody was pushing me over. There's nothing crazy happening. I just went to the altar, just began to pray, say, "Jesus, baptize me in the Holy Spirit." And a friend just put his hand gently on my back and, and prayed softly, just just whispered and, and prayed. And and after some time, I began to sense the presence of God. And my friend just said, hey, speak whatever language has come to you. He said, I believe it's already come to you. Just speak whatever is coming to mind. And I just began to open my mouth. I had to partner with the Holy Spirit, but I began to open my mouth and pray. And all of a sudden, this beautiful language began to come out of my mouth. I was like, what is happening? What is going on? And I just kept praying. It just like flowing out, like overflow, overflow. Like I wasn't trying to fight for words or think of what to say. Just, it just began to overflow. And I felt like Jesus was saying that moment, this is what I want my relationship to be like with you, where you don't have all these guard, or all these boundaries up, or all these, these thoughts kind of going through your mind where it, 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 it's causing you to struggle to, uh, to lean into me, but I want you to just overflow with this life. And I just kept praying in tongues that day. And I laid at the altar and I wept before God. I experienced his presence in a way I never had before. And it's funny, that night, uh, my friends and I, uh, we went to a, a concert. The, the fall retreat got over. We went to a concert at a bar in Des Moines. And I was still praying in tongues at the bar. People were like, what is this guy doing? You know, he shouldn't speak in tongues in public, but I didn't care at that point. I was excited about it. And I just kept praying in tongues, and I still pray in tongues 10 years later. I still pray in it every day. Prayed in yesterday. Prayed in this morning. And it's changed my life. And it, I told Jesus, when I was baptized in the Spirit, I told Jesus, I said, I said, this has changed my life so much. I promise I'll preach on this for the rest of my life. And here we are 10 years later. I still believe in its power. And, and what happened practically? Well, I got set free from my addiction that was on my life for eight years, seven or eight years at that point, set free from it. And I received power. I was, I almost became too bold in my faith. I kind of had to scale back a little bit because I was kind of being grumpy on Facebook. Like everyone repent, like all the time. So I got that boldness that that was promised to me. And here we are late or 10 years later, still seeing God do things through this. All right, the main idea this morning, if you've taken notes, is this. The wind of God wants to overflow in our lives through the baptism in the Holy Spirit so that we can be powerful witnesses for Jesus. I think there's three groups here this morning. I just briefly want to just go through. Okay, so how do you respond to a message like this? Well, let's see if you fall into one of these three groups. The first group is people who have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you just to be open to this. I'm not going to force you to come up here and pray for it today. I just want you to begin to ask God to give you this. 
On Thursday night, we're going to have some concentrated time to seek the Holy Spirit. That's what the fire in wind night is all about, is seeking God with uninterrupted time. And that would be a a great time for you to pursue it. But you can also pursue it at home. You can pursue it in the car. I have friends who have got baptized in the Holy Spirit in so many different places. This guy right here got baptized in his car because he said, I'm not leaving this vehicle until I get baptized because my older brother's got it and I need to get it. <laughs> That's not exactly what he said. But point is, he, he wanted the baptism and he waited. He said, I'm not leaving until I get it. And he got it. So point is, it doesn't have to be in a worship service. So that's the, the first way to respond. If, if you've already been baptized in the Holy Spirit and, and you're wondering, okay, how does this apply to me? Well, it applies to you because you need a fresh filling. You're wondering, why am I so lackluster and dry in my faith? Well, it's because you think one baptism can take care of the whole thing. You need to continually be filled. And the question is, why do you need to be filled? Well, it's because you leak. You need to be filled up again. And you need a fresh filling. And I pray at the fire and wind night that people would get freshly filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and also in your own times with Jesus every day. Finally, if you don't know Jesus, you came on a weird day. And I'm sorry about that. I would have rather preached about the cross or the resurrection, but you just so happen to come. I planned this on Memorial Day because I didn't think new people would come, but hey, I'm glad you came today. And I just want to encourage you that if this is all weird to you, just kind of set it over here and let's deal with it later. But today, I pray that that you would deal with the most important thing, which is your salvation, which is Jesus coming into your life and him becoming your Lord and your King. And the way he made that possible was he died for you while you were still sinful and separate from God. You know, for me, while I was still struggling with all those things, my life was so messed up. Jesus died for me. He, he forgave me right then and there. He didn't wait for me to clean up my life and then forgive me. He forgave me right then and there, and he can do the same thing for you. So if you are feeling far from God today, I pray that you would experience his love and his grace and, and you become a new creation. All right, so, uh, let's stand up all across this room. I'm going to pray for us, and, and then we'll close. All right, so Jesus... This morning we come to you and we we just tackled a very complex topic. We and we went through like about 20 scriptures, God. And it can seem like a lot, but Holy Spirit, I pray that this wouldn't just be something we learn in our heads, but today, Holy Spirit, we're asking for a filling. Jesus, we're asking you to be our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we're asking you to do what you or John the Baptist promised you would do. We're asking you to baptize us with fire. We're asking you to fill us anew. Or maybe we're not ready for that yet. And that's us. If that's you this morning, we're just praying that you'd meet us right where we're at today, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. In your name. Amen.